0: Okay, you can now open your Bible, at Ephesians chapter 4. As we'll see, our text is all about maturity, the maturity of the church. So what is maturity? When can we say that someone is mature? Because maturity is not always related to age. It's not always related to someone's age. Now, Unfortunately, I had to use a tennis example um, this evening, but I saw a tennis match in the Australian Open that just finished, um, where a lady tennis player unexpectedly beaten the number six seed in straight sets. And after, uh, as they do uh, directly after the match, there's an on court interview, and the lady came up to interview, and she asked this lady, what would you say have changed in the last 12 months? Where this lady responded, I think I am much more mature than 12 months ago. To which this lady interviewer responded saying, but you're only 16. And the whole crowd erupted with laughter. And she smiled and she says, yes, but you need to remember last year I was only 15. (laughs) This is, of course, referring to the teenage tennis sensation, Mira Andreeva, who beat uh, Ons Jabir in straight sets unexpectedly. So as I prepared this message, I was thinking, many people are wondering, but what is maturity? So I uh, looked the topic up, and there's a lot of different uh, definitions to maturity. And I would say the one that stood out for me that's uh, sort of agreed uh, by most is saying that maturity is the ability to respond to different situations in an appropriate manner. In other words, a mature person will know how to react to different circumstances in a sensible and wise way. And it's not always dependent on age. As I said, you may get young people, Like that lady tennis player who can play a tennis match in a very mature way, even though she's only 16. She's beaten someone much more experienced than she is by staying calm in specific circumstances. But how is it with the church? When can we say that a church is mature? Because that is what our passage is all about. When can we say this church is mature and in some some cases, there are churches that's immature. And the big mistake, as I've already uh, referred to, that people make is they think that if the average age of the members of a church is quite high, in other words, full of elderly folk, then that church is mature. Where uh, maybe a church with mostly uh, uh, comprised of students or younger people would be immature. But as we'll see... That is not the case. In fact, Paul makes the point that a church's maturity can be directly linked to how well the church gets its basics right. How well a church functions according to the biblical mandate. If a church gets that right, that church will mature much faster than a church who's built on all different unbiblical ideas. Maybe unbiblical ideas such as pragmatism, whatever works, goes. Or maybe there's some ideas from the business world that gets infiltrating the church, that our church must be run. Or self-help, or other worldly ideas. But the, the point Paul is making is, if a church functions according to what the Bible teaches, that church will grow into a mature church much quicker. And as we go along, we'll see what these specific biblical principles are that Paul will be highlighting here. Now, just to remind you where we are in Paul's letter in the Ephesians, because I don't preach uh, quite regularly. So, last time, last year, when I preached, uh, I ended at verse 11. And we've seen from uh, the first verse in chapter 4, that it's all about the church. The first six verses is about the unity of the church and how the church should live out its unity. We remember the words, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. It's all about the unity of the church. And then we we saw from verse 7 onwards um, up to verse 11, actually verse 12, it's all about the diversity of, We have as individuals within the church to use our gifts that God has given us. There, in verse 7 it says, But to each one of us grace was given. To each one grace was given to the measure of Christ's gift. And that grace that Paul is referring to there is a serving grace. It's grace for us to be able to serve. Now, as I'm going to start again from verse 11... Paul says how all of this works together, the unity of the church and the gifts that everyone uh, uh, receives from God to serve within the church, if that is applied correctly, the church will grow into becoming a mature biblical church that's full of fruit, gospel fruit, and that can function well according to what the Bible says. I'd just like to make one more point before we get into our text. Um, we've seen that the first three chapters was all about theology. In other words, Paul explaining how we are saved. And then from chapter 4 onwards, Paul gets much more practical how we should live out our Christian life. And for me, it's still quite astounding to see that Paul starts with the church. That's where he starts, in a practical It it, it almost said in his practical section, he starts off with the church. I think many of us make the mistake, when we think of our Christian lives, we think about it individualistically. In other words, it's me and my God. And I mean, it's definitely important for us to have each have an individual relationship with our Lord Jesus, to have an individual walk with our Lord, but the Bible makes quite a big deal about our corporate lives as believers. And that is we should never begin to conceive of living out our Christian lives without the church in our thinking. In fact, the church should almost be at the forefront of our thinking when we start to want to live out our Christian lives practically. That we should start with the church. So I've got three headings for us um, as we go uh, through this. and basically, um, the whole section, I think, can be so summarized as growing up together in Christ or being a mature church. It's all about maturity, and there are three headings. The first is the means to maturity. You can almost say the God-given means to maturity because it's God gives us the means as a church, to grow together. The second is the science of maturity. How can we tell if some uh, if, if a church is mature or not? What, what should we look for? And the third thing is the synergy of maturity. The synergy of maturity. So let, let, let's look at the means, the means to maturity. So we see firstly that through the church and the ministry of the church, God has provided to us all the means necessary for us to grow together towards maturity. And that's where we start in verse 11. And I'll just remind you from what I said last time, there Paul lists special servants God gave to the church. He mentions four of them. mentions apostles, prophets, evangelists, and then pastor-teachers. I've explained the last time that the last pastor-teachers refer to the same one and same person. Pastor-teachers. And back then I explained that in today's church we don't have apostles and prophets anymore. Their work was more foundational. They started the church. They got the church going. Um, it says there, there in uh, chapter 2, verse verse 20, uh, uh, If if you want to refer to that, that the apostles and prophets are the foundation of the church. They laid the foundation. We must remember in the the time that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, the the whole Bible was not yet written. They only had the Old Testament. And only some of the books started coming together. But during that time, God gave the church apostles and prophets, apostles to teach authoritatively at that time, and prophets to come and speak God's Word in specific uh, situations. But all of that was written down, what we need, in the Bible. We almost say that the, the Bible replaced the office of apostle and prophet. And that's where the church gets its authority from today, is from the Scripture, from the Bible. We saw that the Bible is also... The only, uh, the, the only thing we need from it's God's full revelation. We don't need any more revelation from God than the Bible. The Bible, we say, is all sufficient for the church uh, to grow and uh, to fulfill its mandate. And then there were evangelists. Now, the church is still very much involved today with evangelists. It commissions missionaries to go and plant churches in different countries and throughout all over the world. It also sets aside men like we have, for example, Roger and the team, to go every week on a Tuesday and speak with people. And sometimes we do evangelism together when we reach out in the Times Square and and so forth. I think each and every Christian is also called to be an evangelist, wherever they are, at their workplace or uh, within the school they are at, or wherever they are, is when they get an opportunity to share the good news of the gospel. But what is especially relevant for us here tonight is the ministry of the pastor-teacher. And that is where where I want to just stand still. I touched on it the last time, but I would like to just stand still there. And the point I want to make is that the ministry of the pastor-teacher... Let's say that the ministry of the pastor-teacher is the primary means that God uses today... To mature his church. The ministry of the pastor teacher. In other words. the What is the ministry of the pastor teacher? I mean it says the pastor. Uh, is to pastor and to teach. But specifically to preach the word. And to teach and preach the word. And it happens on. When we gather together as a group of believers. Someone will stand in front. And open God's word. And preach his word. And we see that this ministry is the primary means God grows his church. Look there in um, verse twelve so so Paul lists these in verse eleven. He lists these special servants he gave to the church, and what is their goal why Why do they do what they do why Why do pastors teachers teach and preach the word? There's a very important reason, and that is for the equipping of the saints. It's to equip the saints. Now, who are the saints? The saints refers to each and every believer. If you believe in our Lord Jesus, if you trust in Him for your salvation, I've got good news. You are a saint. You are a saint. You've been set aside for God and His purposes. We are not with the Catholics to say that only certain specific people are special and uh, all the others are a bit less special. So we've got saints and and non-saints. No, we believe in the Bible that each and every believer, each and every true believer who trusts in the Lord Jesus is a saint. And that is what Paul is saying. He's saying that this ministry that God gave to these special servants, especially relevant for us today, pastor, teachers are there to equip each and every saint to do what? For their work of ministry within the church, for edifying the body of Christ. So this is uh, the sequence. You have a ministry, pastor teachers mainstanding, opening God's word, preaching God's word, Sunday by Sunday by Sunday, and throughout the week. But our most important gathering is here on a Sunday, When the word is preached, when the word is proclaimed, open up. The saints, those who believe, the members of the church, come and and listen. But the sermon is not an end in itself. Everybody's sitting, listening to the sermon. There's There's a reason why. That is to equip you, Christian, each and every one of us, to equip us for our work in ministry within the church. That is the reason. That is the goal, and that is the means God gave to mature and grow His church. So, the sequence. Ministry pastor teacher equipping the saints. Once they are equipped, they go and they serve. They serve the church, they edify the church, they grow the church. This tells us, as I said, we don't just come on a Sunday by Sunday just to hear a sermon being preached and then go home again, come back the next Sunday, listen to more sermon, go home again. There's an end goal in sight and that is for you to discover your specific gifting and to help to equip you to serve the rest of the body with your gifts within the church also tells us, very important, that Paul, when he wrote to the church in Ephesus, remember this letter was, at the time, it it was passed around to other churches as well. Paul knew that when he wrote this letter, it's not just for the church in Ephesus. It would have been passed around. And I mean, maybe through the Holy Spirit, uh, I'm not sure if Paul knew that we would even benefit from it today, but that's how the Holy Spirit intended it from the beginning. But Paul had in mind, when he wrote to the church in Ephesus and the surrounding churches, he didn't have a one-man show in mind. In other words, he's, he's writing to maybe a small group of leaders, and then the rest are just sitting and listening to the sermon. No, we see in this passage very clearly that Paul has in mind all of the believers, all of the saints being equipped to serve God's church and to grow God's church. So that is what it says. is, It says that each and every member of the church has a responsibility to edify and to grow God's church together, to work together. We, 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 we'll get to that a, a little bit later. And that's why Paul will use, as we'll, get in verse, uh, as we'll see in verse 16, the picture of a body. The other pictures I've used before, I don't know if you can remember them, some think of the church as a pyramid with the pastor teacher at the top and everyone else falling in different hierarchies all the way to the bottom. But that's not what Paul had in mind. Or the picture of a bus driver with the pastor uh, uh, sitting in front, driving the bus, and everybody else just gets on the bus and enjoy the ride together. No. Paul has got in mind a well-functioning body where each and every member does its share. No matter how insignificant... Everyone is important. Every member of the church is important in the way that they serve the church. So, then we go on to verse 13. In verse 13, we see two, um, two different effects that the good word ministry will have within the church. And let's look at them um, each one. The first one is, it says, till we all, I like that uh, saying where Paul says, we all, all of us, will come to the unity of the faith. That's the first effect of a good word ministry. Now think about it. If, if a church has got a good word and, and a faithful biblical word ministry, Sunday by Sunday by Sunday, what will happen? Everyone will hear some aspect of the Christian faith being explained, being opened up in the Bible, and would come to understand the Christian faith better and better and better as time progresses. Maybe some come in here with different ideas, uh, uh, different understandings, but as the time goes on, as they sit under the Word being preached Sunday by Sunday, what happens? We all come to unity of the faith we will all uh, come to the same understanding because the preaching is biblical. It, uh, it, It shows us that what is preached here is grounded in Scripture. So that's the first effect of a good and faithful word ministry where saints are being equipped is that we will have and see unity of the faith. It doesn't mean we'll agree on absolutely everything, but in all the essential things for our faith there will be unity because we will all grow in the biblical understanding of our Christian faith that's why for taking off the word ministry is so important sunday by sunday it's also important that the ministry the word ministry of a church must have a wide br- a breadth to it In other words, it should cover all aspects of the faith. That's why I am a firm believer in expository preaching. In other words, preaching through books in the Bible. Because if you preach the whole counsel of God, the whole of the Bible, you you obviously won't do it in one or two or three or even ten years, but if the Bible is faithfully preached, the whole of the Bible, little by little by little, the congregation gets exposed to the whole of the Christian faith and there can be true unity in the Christian faith. Expository preaching is important. and In many churches, uh, uh, the pastor will have some pet topic that he will preach on whenever he gets an opportunity. But if you preach through books in the Bible and... Very importantly, if the main point uh, of the sermon is actually the point in the text, that's what expository preaching means. Expository preaching means that the Bible is explained, the Bible is exposed. You can say it's explained, um, and that's the goal of the sermon: is merely to explain what the Bible passage means and what it means for uh, for us today. And that is why I am uh, such a fan of expository preaching. I believe that is the best staple diet for any church. It's just a faithful preaching through books in the Bible, bit by bit. There's, of course, there, there's, there's uh, uh, at times when a, a specific topic is required to be preached on, when you can't uh, preach topically. But I believe that, by and large, expository preaching, over the long run, is the most useful form of preaching. So that's the first effect of a faithful word ministry is unity. And and and, and, and look there, and it says, till we all come to the unity of faith. There's progression there, do you see? It, it doesn't just happen. It's a gradual process as we partake of the word ministry from pastor teachers in the church. And then the second one, and that for me, that is the most important one, is and of the knowledge... Of the Son of God, the knowledge of the Son of God, that is the main truth that must be proclaimed here is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that's Jesus. It says here, we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. In other words, the knowledge of the good news, of the gospel, of what Jesus uh, what Jesus did who Jesus was, why he came, why he was born, why God had to send our Lord Jesus, why he had to be crucified, why he had to be raised from the dead, why he went to heaven, and why he will come back one day. The basic gospel message should be the focus point of the ministry, the word ministry of the church. It should be, in other words, gospel-focused or Christ-centered preaching. Christ-centered. Because that is what will bring us to unity. Unity of our faith, but unity in our love and knowledge of our Lord Jesus. And that is the second effect. And then, the rest of verse 13 takes us to the to the very end goal. It says, until, it says, until we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, and then, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It means we are never done. The church is never done until the Lord comes and glorifies the church. And the church will be perfect. We are never done. The church continues with its mission, growing the church through the word ministry, equipping saints, equipping them for ministry. So that we can all edify the church with the end goal in mind that one day, one day the church will be perfect. One day the church will be glorified when Jesus comes back again. So I think by means of application, we should ask ourselves maybe some of us have sat under the the, the word ministry for many years. We need to ask ourselves have we grown? Have we grown? in our understanding of the faith? Have we grown? as certain Christian truths become more clear to us and in our thinking? Are we able to apply those truths to our lives? Do we just come and we, we listen to a sermon and then forget about it during the week, come back the next week, listen to a sermon, forget about it again? Or do we really value the word ministry of this church? Do we sit and do we do we take in what's being preached? Do we try and remember throughout the week? Do we remind ourselves through the week what was being preached? So that we can grow in our understanding. But more importantly, did our knowledge of and love for our Lord Jesus, did that grow over the the, the past few years or months, however long you've, You've been a member of this church, and I've listened to, to this preaching. That your appreciation for the gospel grow. Are you more excited about the gospel of our Lord Jesus than you were a few months ago? And most importantly, I think we should all ask ourselves: Have we become equipped for our ministry? And have we grown in our, in our ability to serve the church in a bigger way, in a more radical way? Have we grown in our usefulness for the church? Because that's what the end goal is, if we look there in verse 12. That's the end goal. It's the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's the goal. And that's the questions we should ask ourselves. I think we can also ask ourselves in a corporate sense, together as a church as a whole, have we grown in our understanding of the Christian faith and our love for the Lord Jesus and in our ability to serve? Those are the three things. If we just take this text and apply it directly. So that's the means of maturity, our first heading. The means of maturity. Is the word being preached and preached in the church. That's the means God gave. Now let's look at the signs of maturity. So when can we say that the church is mature? And Paul mentions two specific signs here in verses 14 and 15. One negative, in other words, one that we must not be, and one positive. So let's look at the negative one. He said, we should no longer be children, in verse 14. That's the sign. We must no longer be children. He says, toss to and fro. So what is he referring to? Why does he mention children here? So the one thing that you can do with a young child is you can mislead that child quite easily. Can't you? You can tell the child a story that's untrue and mislead the child. But you can't do that with someone that's older quite quite as easy. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying that sometimes the church is like a child. They are, with whatever is being preached, the church just accepts it as the truth. They are being misled, and they follow that truth. We've got so many examples throughout church history of very influential people coming into the church, false teachers, and then misleading the church. So that's the first one. He's saying that a mature church will not be led astray. And why is that? Why is a mature church, why won't a mature church not be led astray? Because they are being led by the truth Sunday in and Sunday out. This made me think of cashiers in banks. Uh, So um, uh, cashiers in banks, when they handle notes, they uh, uh, I don't know if you've seen those people, they can be extremely fast, count money. And, and, and that's what they do uh, every day. So they, they count money, count money. And then if you put the false banknote in a, in a stack, they will count and immediately they would feel the false note that is different. It doesn't feel the same. Something is wrong. Something, something is off. It's, it's, it's just not right. And this, this is what Paul is saying. Because the church is used to a, a good word ministry... A biblical word ministry. When someone comes and proclaims false doctrine, the mature church will recognize it immediately and will know immediately that that is not what the Bible teaches. In other words, a mature church is immune to heresies. They're immune to heresies. The picture uh, Paul uses here is that of a ship without an anchor. The ship is just... Going along with whatever wind there is blowing. And ever, whatever the current is, that ship is just going along. It's got no destination. It's just waddling along with wherever. And Paul is saying, no, the mature church is anchored in the truth. It's anchored in the truth. It will not be led astray. I was wondering if I should do this, but a while ago, my heresy alarm came on. Not in this church. I just want to say it straight off. Not in this church. But my heresy alarm went, went off. The preacher I was listening to said that, "Did you know that we, we need to believe in God. That's what he said. We need to believe in God. That's certainly true. But, that you know that God also believes in us? I was like, okay, I haven't heard that one before. And he, he then said, "God, that, that's why Jesus came. Is, is, is God believes in you, and therefore you should believe in yourself. <laughs> and it was immediately that I knew, no, something is, is off here, something is not right. And... Um, After I sat and thought about it, I thought, no, but that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we are sinners. That God does not believe in us. God is gracious. He came to us purely by grace. But we are sinners. There's nothing that attracts us to God. God came to us merely because of His goodness. But that's just uh, uh, one example uh, that I've encountered some time ago in a different church. But as I prepared this, I also thought that when 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 I look at the, there in verse fourteen, um, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, I was thinking of my own heart as a preacher pre- preparing the message. My own heart is deceitful. The Bible tells us all of our hearts that the preachers standing here are all sinners. And we as a church, when we listen to sermons, we should be critical. And we should measure what is preached against the Bible, always. We should always be alert, always be awake. And I'm not saying we should be be nitpicking and overly critical, but we should always test what we hear against Scripture. We must become to be critical thinkers, critical hearers. And test what is being preached against the Word of God. In whichever context we are. Maybe we're visiting other churches. We should be critical hearers. We should not just accept what is being preached is what the Bible teaches. We should be critical and think about it. And pray about it. And test it against Scripture. That is what a mature church is. A mature church is immune to heresy. Now let's look at the positive, the, the the positive sign of maturity. It's there, in verse fifteen. It says, "But speaking the truth in love." And there is the, the the positive sign. It's the church being able, the mature church being able to speak the truth in love. Now, elsewhere in Paul's letter, an uh, like, uh, um, example is one Timothy three verse fifteen. Paul says that. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. The pillar and ground of the truth. So the church must always be truth sayers. And must always be able to proclaim truth. But that's not all. The church must be able to proclaim truth in a loving way. In a loving way. And that is not easy. That is not always easy. We have so many horrible examples of churches in the past and even today who are proclaiming truth in an offensive, in a harsh, in an unloving and unkind way. We sometimes see Christians protesting in the streets with red faces and hateful uh, 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 undertones. That is not the calling of the church. The church is called to stand for the truth, always to stand for the truth but to do that in a loving way. We need to remind ourselves that the church is not called to win arguments. We are called to win souls. We are called to win souls. Especially in the the secular climate, it tempts us regularly to get angry and to respond in, in an angry way, in an unkind way. Because let's face it, those we are ministering to many times are not loving towards us. In fact, they are mocking us, they are laughing at us. They think we are totally uh, um, lost in our thinking because we believe in certain things that that they can't even comprehend to uh, to be true. The fact that we believe in the Bible... Here, Paul calls the church to be able to speak the truth, to proclaim the truth in a loving way to the lost and dying world around us. The church which is able to engage with unbelievers and those differing from us in a a, a kind and loving way. The church who is able to listen to others with sympathy, to understand where they are coming from, and then share the truth of, of the gospel in a loving and caring way, that's the mature church. And as I said, it's not easy. We need to be in prayer about this, asking God to help us to grow, being able to speak the truth in love. It's something that God must work in us. But Once again, as we sit under the Word ministry, as we grow in our faith, Corporately as a church, God will give us more and more the ability to to be able to speak the truth in love. So those are the two signs of maturity that Paul mentions here. It's no longer be children, no longer tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, standing firm on our faith and then speaking the truth in love. And then our last heading is the synergy of maturity. And this is the last two verses. From, uh, From the second part of verse 15 up to verse 16. The synergy of maturity. And Paul concludes this amazing passage about the church. Which already started, as I said earlier, in verse 1. Already started in verse 1. And then... He said there in in verse 7 that to each one of us grace was given. So, he's talking about the church being able to use our spiritual gifts. And he then says, look there in in, in verse 16, or in verse 15, he says, that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together, by what every joint supplies, (coughs) according to the effect of working, And then that that phrase, by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Here is Paul's picture of a body. And the key phrase I said, by which every part does its share. And that is what is called synergy, working together. I love the word synergy. Synergy means that the whole is worth more than the sum of its parts. In other words, what we can each achieve individually, let's say it adds up to something. When we get together and we, do, we all work together, we achieve more than what everyone can achieve on its own. That's what synergy is. We're able to achieve more together as a church than what each individual can do. So, What is the goal? What what, what do we need to achieve? And it's there in verse 16. It says, it causes growth of the body. Body. Growth can be in numbers, but I think more specifically, growth in terms of maturity. Everyone contributes to the church's maturity. Everyone does its share through helping one another, for praying for one another, Reaching out to one another. We help the church to grow. And then it says, edifying. It's the second time that Paul uses that word. Edifying of itself in love. Edifying. In other words, changing it for the better. So how do we do these things? How is it possible that we can do that? I think many times it's just reaching out to one another in small ways. All of us have different capacities to serve. All of us have different capacities to help the church. But what Paul is getting at is that each and every member does it share with the capacity that we have, with the availability that we have, that we help sharing. Sharing in the burden of growing the body. Many times we may feel frustrated by the lack of growth, and even uh, uh, the church's unwillingness to be edified, many times we, we, we may be tempted to be frustrated. But let me encourage you to not be the change that you want to see in the church. Be the change that you want to see in the church. In other words, if you feel, for example, you're not welcomed warmly enough, then start. You start welcoming others war, uh, in a warm way. If you feel that you don't know those in the church well enough, then make an effort to get to know others. Here is a great quote from uh, Tim Challies uh, that I I wanted to, to read to you. He said, You are a contributor to your church's strengths and weaknesses. Your giftedness makes your church stronger, and your sins and weaknesses make it weaker. Whenever you are tempted to grumble about your church, you need to remember that even if you can be part of the solution, you are also part of its problems. Be humble. Be humble. So Paul calls the church here to work together. Everyone must play its role. And this is what a mature church looks like. A church where everyone does its share. Everyone works together. Now this passage also tells us what are the most important things we need to look for in a church. So maybe someone is listening here, maybe somebody on Zoom, that's currently looking out uh, to settle in a church. And many look for all the wrong things. They, They may be important things, but they look for things like a nice building with good facilities or a good children's ministry or a certain format of service or certain music and worship style. But when we just take this passage, we see that the two most important ingredients for a church is firstly a good biblical word ministry. That's the first thing. A church where the whole word of God is faithfully preached, each and every Sunday. A church where some comfortable truths and maybe some uncomfortable truths are preached as... Bible teaches them. So a church which opens the Bible and preaches from the Bible. I know in, in uh, many churches that I've been in the past, the Bible is hardly opened. It may be worship songs and, and all of hype and things, but the Bible is never open. If you're looking for a church, look for a church which opens the Bible and explains the Bible and preach the Bible and read the Bible and sing the Bible, everything about the Bible. But look for a church with a good word ministry. And secondly, a church with biblical church membership. The biblical church membership where ordinary members are given the opportunity to serve the church in very, various different ways. Where ordinary members get equipped and they participate in the ministry. Where it's not just a professional service being run by, by certain men being paid by the church, but where all joins, all joins and, and, and work together serving the church. Public church membership. Also where the church draws a distinction between its members and others. For example, where membership is required before you can really start serving the church, where there's good spiritual oversight of its members. So those are the two important things. I say the the essentials of a church a good word ministry and biblical church membership so what an amazing passage 16 verses where paul started in verse 1 all about the church how the church is one how each and every one of us should participate in the ministry of the church and then how god matures the church by his special servants Pastor, teachers, proclaiming the word, equipping the saints. Then everybody working together in synergy. Working together to grow the church, to edify the church. What an amazing passage. I think as we uh, look at this passage, we realize there are many things that we as a church can be thankful for. How God has blessed us here at Castle Fields. I think it also makes us realize that we have a a lot of things to pray for and continue praying for that God will grow us as a church. And that is what we're going to do in in a bit when we stand and sing our closing hymn. We we are going to, to, to sing a prayer for God to revive His church. I think we can sing it for ourselves. Thankful for what the Lord has done so far for our church, but mindful we must still be in prayer that God will continue growing our church. I trust that this passage will be a blessing to you as it has been to me uh, in my preparation for the God's wonderful plan for the church. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful passage. Lord, we thank you uh, that we once again see the importance of the church in your plan for your people on this earth. Oh Lord, help us uh, to be... Good and faithful members of the church. Those of us who are members, Lord. Those of us who are not members, Lord, help us to to come to the conviction to become members. And Lord, I pray for those who do not yet know you. Maybe here tonight, uh, and are not sure whether they know you, whether they trust in you, and whether they are your children. I pray, Lord, that you will be with them especially and help them to understand the good news of our Lord Jesus. Oh Lord, I pray for us as a church that you will continue to bless us as a church and that you will continue to grow us as a church that You will give us the maturity that we see in our passage. Pray that in Jesus' name be with each and every one of us for this week. Lord, as we enter a, a new work week, I pray for those working that you'll be with them, for those going to school, Lord, that you will help them, for those just going along with their business. I pray, Lord, that you will be with each and every one of us in our own circumstances. Lord, help us and remind us to be faithful servants in your church. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.